Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it's uh, such a joy to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, she is just incredibly in demand and uh, a, a brilliant uh, theologian, environmentalist, social activist, occasional pig farmer, uh, formerly a director of the conservation organization Arosha. She's now a tear fund. Uh, she's the author of six books. Darling, can you just pass me those ones down there? Including her latest, which is called Just Living. Uh, L is for lifestyle, uh, Just Living. Uh, and um, these, these are on sale downstairs later. She said to me, I'm terrible at selling books. No one ever buys books when I speak. And I said, that's going to be different this morning. Let's try and uh, wipe her out. But do get hold of, uh, of the books. And uh, she and her husband, Greg, have been uh, friends of Sammy's and ours for more than 20 uh, years. So would you please uh, welcome Dr. Ruth Valerio. Ruth. Thank you. It's really lovely to be here with you this morning. And what an amazing video that was. What an incredible testimony. And it struck me, we, we, just, we live in this world that is so full of paradoxes, don't we? We live in a stunningly beautiful world, an amazing world, but we also live in a world of incredible pain and, and a world that is terrible and a world that has people in it who are capable of the most atrocious things and are also capable of the most amazing, wonderful and beautiful things. And this is the world that God has called us to live in, right in the midst of, not with a, a sense of unreality, but to recognize the problems that are here and to be working, doing everything that we can to work towards those, to see those problems solved, recognizing that we probably won't see many of those problems solved until Jesus comes again. And so even that isn't with a, an unrealistic sense of hope, but it is working with Jesus, with his plans of salvation. And I really hope that as you watch that video, that, that it inspired in you a fresh determination to get involved in this world, to get involved in what is going on, and to play your part. Each one of us here has a little role that we can play in working with God in all number of different ways. And each one of you here will have a different calling and will play a different part. So don't look at what someone else is doing and think, oh, I can never do that. You're right, you can never do that because that's not what God is wanting you to do because you're not that person. God is asking you to do what is in you and what is right for you. So I just hope that that video has, will have motivated us to find our place in God's purposes. Pete has asked me to come and speak this morning around the, the environmental crisis that this world is in. Is the environment, our ecological issues, is climate change, 
Is all of that something that we should even be interested in as Christians? Or is that just something that's um, a kind of fringe interest for a few strange green Christian weirdos who wear sandals and beards and that's just the women, you know. And Or is it something, <coughs> excuse me, if you are a woman with a beard and sandals, here this morning, hopefully, and um, I'll move on quick. Our environment is caring for this world, actually something that is an integral part of the Christian faith, or is it just something for a few strange people like me? And I want to give you some very straightforward biblical teaching, just to help us to understand where caring for this world fits into the biblical picture that that we have of salvation and of God's plans for what he and who he has made. And I want to take you through four very simple points. I don't think, uh, I doubt any of this will be new to you, <clears throat> but I want to lay it out and, and help you to understand what is, what is there in the Bible. I went through, um, I would say, probably, well, actually, I never had a first conversion. Don't, I am still a Christian. Don't worry about me when I say that. But I would say almost like a second conversion when I read something right at the start of my adult life, which showed me where the earth, the land, caring for this world comes into the biblical narrative. And I almost felt as if I'd had been wearing a particular pair of glasses for so many years. And it was like this pair of glasses was taken off and a new one was put on, a new pair of glasses. And I suddenly saw things so differently. So I hope that a bit of that might happen for you this morning. And I don't think I'm going to say anything new, but maybe this might be helpful just to see it again. Four very simple things that I want to talk about. Firstly, no great revelation. God made this world and he loves it. Genesis 1.31 says that God looked at all that he had made and he said it is Thank you. We got there. God looked at the individual days, if you like. I don't take that literally, but the individual components, and he said it's good. And then he looked at all that he had made, and he said it's very good. Now, I know a bit of New Testament Greek, but I don't know much Hebrew. So my very unacademic translation of that is that God looked at all that he had made, and he said, that is fantastic. I love it. Look at what I've made. Do you know if you like cooking or if you like making things or something, you know, you're like, look at this. This is amazing. And this is what God is saying. He's not some dispassionate God who sits back and says, oh, yeah, that wasn't bad, was it? He looks at this world and he says, it is amazing. And in that little verse, Genesis 1.31, we see blown away 2,000 years of bad theology that has separated out the separated things out into two spheres the one which is earthy physical material has substance to it we've separated that out from a sphere which is immaterial non-physical non-earthy and we've called this sphere spiritual and we have deemed this sphere to be somehow superior to the earthy, physical, material world. And that has come through our theology in all different ways. 
It's come through our theology in the way that we've separated out people who lead churches as full-time Christian workers, and then everybody else is, well, I don't know, everybody else doing whatever they do. We know that that isn't the case, don't we? We know that everybody is in full-time Christian ministry. It's just that some people do that by leading a church, some people do that by teaching or by working in a hospital or working in a garage or whatever it is. But that is a reflection of the dualism that we've been under in our theology, that we have seen spiritual matters, worship and evangelism and prayer and those sorts of things, as somehow superior to stuff that's to do with the physical and the earthy and the material. And so we now know that it is just as important to be caring for people's physical needs as it is to be telling them about Jesus and helping them in their relationship with the Lord. We know that you can't separate those things out. And that is the same when it comes to caring for this earth. It is every bit a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to want to get your hands dirty, to be planting trees, to be growing food, to be looking after the land. The Bible tells us that matter matters to God. He looks at all that he has made and says, it is very good, it's fantastic. <coughs> and really, that's, um, that's kind of case closed. That's all we need to know. Because we want to worship our God in a way that loves him the best, don't we? And if we know that God has made something and if we know that he loves it and that he places value on it, don't worry about the water, it's fine. Thanks. If, um, if we know that God places value on something, then don't we want to look after that as well? Some years ago, I made a, a William Morris tapestry and I spent ages on it, and you might know William Morris from the Arts and Crafts movement. And it's a beautiful tapestry of a big peacock in the woods, and it now hangs proudly up on the wall at home. I got it professionally finished off and so on. Can you imagine, how would I feel if I got back from speaking here today to find that my kids had taken it off the wall and were using it to wipe their muddy feet on? I'd be absolutely gutted, wouldn't I? But I know with complete certainty that I won't get back and find that has happened because my girls would never dream of doing something like that to something that they know is so precious and so special to me. The analogy is obvious, isn't it? If God loves this world, then surely as people who love him, we want to love and take care of and look after what God has made. And we're told in Colossians 1 that this earth was made, this world was made by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. It's almost as if this world is, is like a present from the Father to the Son. How on, on earth, literally, would we want to spoil something that is a present for Jesus? Don't we want to look after it? and take care of it. So God loves this world, and he made it. It's his. <coughs> Secondly, he created us in order to look after it. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 talks about us being made in the image of God. 
it says that God made humankind in his image, in his likeness. And he said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and, and so on. Now, I haven't got time to do a, an in-depth Bible study with you. You might like to have a look at your Bibles when you get home and see how your Bible has translated that. Most of them say that God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. And then there's a comma, maybe a full stop. I was teaching on this in Sweden not so long ago, and they actually have a, a colon. And then it goes on and let them rule over the birds of the air, and etc. And by doing that, it almost creates a kind of bullet point list. God says, let's create humanity. We're going to create humanity, one, in our image, in our likeness, whatever that may mean. And then two, we're going to create them to rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The most recent NIV translation, if you've got that, has changed that slightly. And it says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the livestock. And, and it's almost as if God had it in God's mind that the final species he created he would create with the express purpose of looking after everything else. So that's why, that's one of the main reasons why we have been created. We are that species. And being made in the image of God isn't so much actually about something that's inside of us, our ability to think or our ability to love or something. Actually, it's a job title. It's something that we know about through archaeological inscriptions that were found at a similar sort of time when the Genesis creation narratives were coming into being. It's a, it's a job title. It's about representing God, being like God's ambassadors. And in case you're worried about this word ruling, what does it mean to rule over the rest of the natural world? Well, just think for a moment about God's understanding of rulership in the Old Testament. So think about some of the words, that the instructions that God gave to his kings. Can you, um, can you think what, might have, what were some of the words, some of the values, the characteristics that God was wanting to see in his kings? Shepherd, yeah, thank you. Any other ideas? Justice. Steward. Love and compassion, servanthood, comes into this idea of, of shepherding. The word for rule actually has its root in shepherding. God's idea of rulership, ruling, is actually all about being a servant ruler. So when it comes to our relationship with the rest of the natural world, how we are to rule over it, it's got nothing to do with oppression and subjugation and using it for our own interests and to build a better life for ourselves and so on. It's all about us being here to serve the rest of what God has made. I don't know about you, but I find that really humbling because that goes right against how I've been brought up and it goes right against our culture that talks about the environment and says that the environment is there to, to serve us and to be used and abused and extracted and et cetera, et cetera. Actually, the Bible, as it so often does, turns those ideas absolutely upside down and says, no, you are here to serve the rest of what I have made. So we've been made to look after this world Thirdly, though, we know that the world has gone wrong because of us. <coughs> I don't need to go into this 
in a huge amount of detail, climate change, deforestation, etc., 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 species extinction, soil acidification, uh, everything that ends with shun that you can think of. There are so many environmental problems that our world is facing. And the sad reality is that they are due to our human behavior and our human activity. And it is said that there isn't a, a corner of the world, the most remote place in the world, still in some way bears the signs of our human activity. And you know, the Bible is, doesn't hold back in talking about that as well. And the Bible draws this um, triangle, she says, drawing a circle, draws this triangle <laughs> of relationships between God, the people, and the land. And God, the people, and the land always go together. There's a very simple um, nexus of relationships here. So when you look in the Old Testament prophets, you see that where the people are in a right relationship with God, righteousness, well, how is that demonstrated? What's that about? Actually, it's not about faithfully observing the Sabbath or the religious festivals or the rites or what have you. Righteousness, being in a right relationship with God, is shown by social justice. It's shown by looking after those who are among you. And then where that is happening, then the land responds and all goes well in the land. There's fertility and the crops produce abundantly and so on. But then the Bible also speaks into the opposite situation, where the people are not in a right relationship with God. How do you know that? Well, you don't, Isaiah 58 and other places tell us you don't know that by whether they're seeking, looks like they're seeking God or practicing the Sabbath and religious festivals and so on. You know that they're not in a right relationship with God because they are not practicing social justice. They're selling the needy for a pair of sandals. They're practicing dishonest trading practices and so on. And the result of that is that all then does not go well in the land. And the land responds. Jeremiah 4 talks about the land mourning, M-O-U-R-N. The land mourns because of the people's sin. Really strong language there. And so the Bible is very clear that... The, that the earth has gone wrong, the world has gone wrong because of the people's sin, because they are not walking according to the ways of the Lord. And for us today, therefore, because we know that the problems that we are seeing in our world today, climate change and all the other things that are there, we know, if we're really honest, that it's because of us. And therefore, we have a responsibility to be working to put it back to rights. But the good news is that we are not working to put it back to rights in our own strength. And my fourth and final point is that we follow a Jesus who died not just for human beings, but who died for the whole created order. And salvation is about putting back to rights all that God has made. God has a future for this world. There's no picture in the Bible of this world being destroyed and us going to spend the rest of our days on some floaty heaven sitting in the clouds playing a harp. I hope that's really good news to you because that all, when I was a child and that was the picture of heaven I grew up with, 
Uh, that used to scare me silly. I, that was enough to put me off being a Christian because I didn't want to sit on a cloud for the rest of my days playing a harp. So I was very relieved when I discovered that that owes more to Victorian hymnology than to anything that we see in the Bible. And we've sung it this morning that we believe in the resurrection when Jesus will return. We didn't sing, I believe in the resurrection when we will all be whisked off somewhere else. We sang, I believe in the resurrection when Jesus will return. As we think about issues of the future and what is sometimes called eschatology, we can veer off into some very wild and wacky and dangerous territory. The Bible doesn't tell us very much as to what the future is going to hold. <coughs> Just gives us some little glimpses in Revelation 21 and 22 and linking in with some of the Old Testament passages. What we do know, though, is that God has a future for this earth. It isn't going to be destroyed. Both the earth and the heavens are going to be renewed, transformed, in a way that, that we can't really get our heads around, except we get a little bit of a picture of that when we think of Jesus' post-resurrection body, which had both continuities and discontinuities. He could eat, but he could also go through walls. The disciples recognized him, but they didn't recognize him. And I think that gives us a little bit of a clue as to what the future is going to be like. But the main point is that this earth is not going to be destroyed. God has a future for it. And Colossians 1 verse 15 speaks into that so strongly where it says that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to reconcile to God all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And I love this word all, all things, that comes out time and time again in Colossians 1 and in Ephesians 1, the, the two passages mirror each other. And I wonder, <laughs> when I do reach my final days and hopefully bump into Paul, I hope I'll get to see him at some point, I'd love to ask him, was there something in his mind that was reminding him of Genesis 1.31? We have the, a kind of bookend here. God looked at all that he had made and said, it's fantastic. I love it. And then Colossians 1, Jesus' blood was shed on the cross for all things. I still believe absolutely totally that Jesus died for humans to reconcile us people back to God but for me if I only focus on that actually it's an emaciated gospel and the gospel is something far broader that is about humans people and all that God has made so God made this world and he loves it he's created us to look after it the world has gone wrong because of us. But the good news is that God has a future for it. And one day, us, along with all created things and this world and the heavens, we will be renewed and transformed and reconciled back to God. I want to um, close in a minute, but I can't stop there because for me theology and biblical understanding is absolutely useless and worthless if it doesn't lead to some sort of practical action. So let me just conclude by giving you a few pointers forward. If this is the case, if the Bible 
is about, yes, human beings, but actually broader than human beings, about the whole world. How then can we start to, to live that out in our own lives? I would love you to get hold of Ellie's for Lifestyle because there's lots of practical stuff in there. But let me boil it down to four points. The food we eat, the way we get around, the energy we use, and the things that we throw away, our waste. Not this sort of waste, W-A-S-T-E. The food we eat, the way we get around, the energy we use, and the things we throw away. And maybe you might like to think of one thing that you could do in each of those areas in order to live in a way that is respectful and caring of this amazing, beautiful world that God has lived in, that God has made, that we live in. The food we eat. What is one thing that you could do? Actually, the, the biggest thing that you could do is to eat a diet that has much less meat in it because our high meat diet is causing huge amounts of problems. If you do nothing else, change your diet. I can see some of your faces already. You're wishing I hadn't said that. <coughs> I'm not preaching vegetarianism. We don't all have to go vegetarian. But we do need to reduce the amount of meat and change our diets round so that we're eating a diet that's predominantly vegetable and grain-based with maybe a little bit of meat in there if we want to. The way we get around... Do you drive everywhere? Do you go on lots of flying holidays? Are there changes that you could make so that you are using public transport more, walking more, cycling more, holidaying locally rather than flying? Think of something that you could do in that area. The energy we use. How much energy do you use in your house? Have you got things that are on standby? Do you fill the kettle up all the way? Is that the kettle is the most energy-hungry appliance in the house? When actually you could just put in the amount that you need for the cup of tea or whatever that you're making. Is there one change that you could make in your house? And then finally, the things that we throw away. Why don't you take a week where you do a bin inventory? Make a note of everything that goes into your bin and see what it is composed of most highly. Is that the right word? Comprised of, composed of? And then do something to, make some, to take some steps to reduce whatever that thing is. And I think in this area, your recycling's pretty good, so I'm hoping you're quite good in this regard. So four areas where you can make a difference. And there's lots more as well, and we need to be engaged on a, on a global level too in terms of advocacy and campaigning. It's not just all about the individual things. But I didn't want to leave you just sitting there thinking, well, that's great, but what on earth can I do about it? And do come and have a look at the resources that are on the table downstairs where we, where we have the coffee, because there's lots more there that will help you to take this forward. But I hope that that has been helpful. God made this world and he loves it. And that really is all that we need to know.